0: Is uh, Hebrews eleven verses twenty-three to twenty nine and then reading from the SVE translation. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of christ greater wealth than the treasures of egypt for he was looking to the reward by faith he left egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured for he endured as seeing him is invisible by faith he kept the passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them by faith people crossed the red sea as on dry land but the egyptians when they were attempted to do the same were not.
1: If you were to honestly
0: assess yourself here and now this afternoon, how would you describe your thoughts about God, about life, and about faith? What would you say your disposition, or outlook is right now? We've been talking in this series, Hebrews 11, about what? Walking forward in faith, and and I guess what I want to do at the start of our time today is to ask, does that describe you? Are you in this moment walking forward in faith? Is that your posture? If it's not our posture, if it doesn't describe us, what are the alternatives? What are the other options that we have as far as our posture and our outlook on life at the moment? There are two other common postures that we can kind of slip into being in life and engaging the world in which God has got us. One is to be frozen in fear. Fear sometimes grips us. There's things in front of us that we just see as overwhelming. When that happens, those things can paralyze us. The anxiety can overwhelm us and and the fear of the unknown can just help us to either recoil or even want to just run away from life and the situations that we're facing. Another posture that we can take in life is when we are captured by comfort or complacency. This is when we're just indifferent. You know, whatever, it's just life, you know, we're just going through the motions of things. And when we're in that head space, or heart space, it's it's like we're not really engaged in life to the full. We're not really wanting to do anything. We're not really motivated in any, any way in particular. We're definitely not moving forward in faith. That would be quite far removed from somebody who's just stuck in this place of comfort and complacency. I'm not sure which of these kind of postures would describe where you're at right now, But I want to give us an analogy that's going to help us hopefully understand this a little bit. And the analogy is this. If you've ever been in a vehicle with an automatic transmission, you know what I'm talking about? Automatic vehicle. There's three options, right? There's the option to be in drive. And that is for our intents and purposes today. That's like moving forward in faith. There's another position in that gear lever, and that's neutral. And that The analogy purpose is like just sitting there, comfortable, life is just happening, and we're just kind of reacting to it as it goes along. Comfort, complacency, indifference. And then the third position in that gear lever is to put it to reverse. That describes the posture that we have when we're fearful. Now the reason I give you this analogy is that hopefully through our time today, we'll kind of reference back to it a couple of times, because what we see is that in life ourselves, but also in the life of Moses were tempted at times to take one of these three postures. And I don't want to be overcritical on this because I realize that if we are in that neutral, comfortable position or in that fearful reversing position, obviously, well, not obviously, but oftentimes we have good reason for being in that space. I'll give you a couple of examples. If you find yourself just leaning towards wanting to be comfortable or enjoying being comfortable, You would fit in very well culturally here. Abenisha could surely be labelled as a culture that worships the God of comfort. I'm absolutely convinced of that. There is affluence, there is materialism, and there's a relentless pursuit of, let's call it, happiness. That's all around us. And for us to just kind of slip into what is normal culturally would be totally understandable. To try and be comfortable or to be okay with just being comfortable and not moving forward in faith. Let me give you another example. Fear. Let's talk about that for a moment. There is, as you well know, a pandemic of fear that has infected far more than the current virus has infected people. The infection of fear is much more widespread. Right across the globe there is panic and fear at the unknown of what's happening. And and when stuff like this happens, it it freezes us, it concerns us, it worries us, and ultimately it consumes us. And that's just one example. Maybe the thing that's making you fearful isn't the coronavirus. Maybe it is something like a situation that you face with work or with your family. But God's will is for those of us who are Christians to assume neither of these postures but to actually step forward in faith. Now I say that just wanting to acknowledge that I'm not just speaking to those in this room who are Christians today. If you're someone who's searching out faith, this is an opportunity to say, okay, what is it to be a Christian? And what it means to be a Christian is to step forward in faith. How do I know that? How do we know that? Well, if you read through God's word in the Bible, what you see over and over and over again is this idea of moving forward in faith. There's story after story in the Old Testament talking about this. And actually, if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, which is where I'm going to turn right now, what you see after Hebrews 11, where we've been studying in the series, is a verse that totally highlights this reality that a life with God is a life moving forward in faith. So, if you turn to Hebrews... Chapter 12, it's at the back of your Bible, towards the very end. You'll find there in verse 1 this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that means all these people who have lived lives of faith before us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That's good advice, but listen to this next part. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What it's talking about here is movement, forward movement. Life with God, as we just said, is a life moving forward in faith. I'd like to actually paraphrase this verse in light of what we've already said about fear and complacency and comfort. And we could say in this verse, we could say, let let us lay aside fear and complacency and let us run, let us move forward in faith in the path that God sets before us. This is the idea, the concept that we see in this scripture. And as I think about, again, the importance of having faith and the importance of moving forward in faith, I'm reminded again of another scripture that we've already highlighted in this series, Hebrews 11.6, which says what? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God calls all of us who believe to have lives of faith that are moving forward in faith. And you're like, okay, Harley, that's cool, great. But what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like in a tangible, practical sense? Well, this is where Moses and these other characters in this passage are so helpful. But I say Moses in particular because this was an incredible man of God. What he does is he gives us a good picture and what he does is he also gives us a picture of not just moving forward in faith, but somebody who shunned comfort, and somebody who overcame fear to walk forward in faith and so our key passage which Steph has already read for us contains multiple by faith statements now if you haven't picked up on this already maybe we need to make sure everybody's awake and alert but uh through this series through hebrews 11 there is this by faith statement that happens over and over and over again and here in the story where it talks to these few verses that talk about moses That by faith statement happens five times. And so what I want us to do for the next few minutes is just look at Moses' life and examine together the five examples of what it looks like to move forward in faith from Moses' life. So we'll dissect these and then we'll kind of of gather our thoughts together and say, okay, well, what does that actually mean for us? So the first example that's given is in verse 23. Let's look at it again. It says this. By faith... Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, you're like, okay, what's this about? A baby being hidden? Yada, yeah, yada, yeah, yada. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Well, it is actually a really fascinating story that you can pick up in Exodus chapter 1 in the Old Testament. And it's the story of what's happened to God's people, the people of Israel. 400 years earlier their family moved to egypt, but now they've multiplied and grown and pharaoh who doesn't love god Doesn't care about these people has become worried about them. And so what he does is he puts them into slavery into hard labor labor And then he gets worried Still that they're going to like overpower the egyptians and take over have a, a revolt and so what he does is he issues this horrible command Which is to kill Every male child that is an Israelite that's born, they'd have thrown them into the Nile. This is the king's edict, his command. And so, when this verse, verse 23 in Hebrews 11, talks about what's going on, they're saying that by faith, Moses' parents overcame fear, overcame the fear of disobeying a direct order from the king, Pharaoh. And this is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to move forward in faith. They're like, it doesn't matter what we we believe that this life, that this baby is precious, and so they they move forward in faith. Now, if you don't know the rest of the story, what happens is they hide Moses on the banks of the Nile in this basket that's made especially for him as a little baby, and and just happens providentially, God's behind it, that Pharaoh's daughter comes down one day to bathe. And, and, and as she's there, she hears the baby crying. She comes and grabs this baby and looks at it, falls in love with it, and adopts it into her family. And so Moses goes from being a slave's child, almost being killed, to being Egyptian royalty. You've got to see that this is a huge transformation. He goes from here up to here. And the second by faith statement talks about this transformation. What happens in verse 24 is it says this, By faith... Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be, a cook, to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fle- fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, just to help us here a little bit, let me, let me acknowledge something with you. Egypt, at this time, was the pinnacle society. They were the most important, the biggest and most powerful culture of the time. And Moses has been transferred up to the top echelons, the top layers of that society. And yet, it tells us in the scriptures that by faith, he chooses to reject that comfort, to reject that lifestyle, to reject the pleasure and the enjoyment of being that comfortable, to put his lot in with his people, the people he's related to, the Israelites. And this is no small thing. So if you look into the text, it says instead he chose to be what? Mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. This is no small thing. What we see here is that by faith, Moses rejected worldly comfort. The third thing that we see that relates to faith in Moses' life in Hebrews 11 is that he goes ahead and he leaves Egypt. Look at verse 27. It says, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the king, oh sorry, of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now this is an interesting verse. There's debate as to what this verse means. Because the reason it's problematic is the way that it phrases things and the fact that Moses left Egypt twice. So let me fill in a little bit of the story. Moses, at the age of 40, around 40, he decides, hey, I'm, I'm going to reject my comfortable palace life in Egypt. And I'm going to put in my lot with the Israelites. And so he starts kind of engaging with them. And as he does that, he kills an Egyptian slave master. And when he realizes what he's done, he flees. He leaves the land. He goes to the Midian to become, which is in the middle of nowhere, like the wilderness. And he becomes a shepherd for the next 40 years. It's a long time. And it's like God, during that time, deconstructs all that Moses is and all that he does. It's a humbling process, right? And then finally, after 40 years, he has this burning bush experience. This, this bush lights up a blaze and it isn't being consumed by this fire. And God speaks to him and says, I want you to go and to lead my people out of Egypt into freedom from their slavery. And so Moses goes back to Egypt, and a second time he leaves Egypt. Now the reason there's debate on this is just the the timing of where it's put in the order of things here. But my personal leaning is to believe that this is speaking to his second leaning, le- sorry, second leaving after the burning bush experience. The reason I say that is it says by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid. Which the first time the Bible. In the Old Testament, it makes you think he was afraid. And then the other reason is because it says, For he endured as seeing him who was invisible. To me, that sounds like he's had a burning bush experience. He's seen God. He's recognised that there is a God. Whatever view you have of it, the point is this. By faith in God and in His Word, Moses was motivated by this fear of God more than a fear of men. He had an understanding that he didn't have to be afraid of the king of Egypt because he was afraid of Yahweh, the God who was the real God of the world. The fourth thing that we see here is that by faith, Moses kept the Passover, verse 28. By faith, he, Moses, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now, I read this and I'm like just acknowledging that if you don't have much of a Bible knowledge or understanding, this verse sounds straight up crazy. Like, read it. It's it's crazy. It's talking about sprinkling blood and the destroyer. Now, what's this all about? Well, contextually, we can understand a lot from reading the Old Testament and understand what's being said here. What happens is that Moses, when he returns to Egypt, Pharaoh, the king, doesn't just say, yeah, you guys can go... I'm fine with that. And he says, no, I'm not going to let you guys go. I need this slave labor. And so God sends 10 plagues. And the last of those 10 plagues is the worst of the 10 plagues because this destroyer, the angel of death, comes in around midnight over the land and kills every firstborn male in every household. It was a huge, dramatic thing, except for the Israelites. They were safe from this. Because what they did is as Moses instructed them, as God had instructed Moses, they took blood from an innocent lamb that they sacrificed and put it over the doorposts of their homes so that when this angel came, it passed over, that's where the name comes from. passed over their homes and they were saved. So the Israelites were saved, but the Egyptians had a massive loss at that time. It's a really actually serious and devastating story. But it is interesting because what we're reminded here is that by faith in God and in his word, Moses led the people to participate in the Passover. I'm sure they would have been like, wait, what? I'm I'm killing a sheep and putting its blood over the doorpost of my home. And Moses is like, yes, this is what God's told us to do. Now, for those of you who, who have been around church for a while, you may have an understanding to say this is hugely symbolic. It is. Because the blood of that lamb is symbolic of the blood that Jesus shed for us. So that now when we stand before God when we die and have to give an account for how we've lived our life and all the bad things that we've done, Jesus' blood is on those of us who believe and he passes over our sins. It's a beautiful reality, a beautiful picture of the gospel. The fifth by faith statement is in regard to as you see in verse 29 the crossing of the red sea it says this by faith the people crossed the red sea as if on dry land but the egyptians when they attempted to do the same were drowned what this verse states is that by faith the people crossed the red sea and i love how it highlights on dry land it was like there was a highway through the sea And this is probably the most well-known fact about Moses, right? If you were to go and do a survey in the streets of contort this afternoon and say, hey, what do you know about Moses? Maybe the Ten Commandments, but probably the Red Sea, right? The parting of the Red Sea. But what I want you to see here is that by faith, they, the people of Israel, trusted that this open path through the sea was God's provision and that he would hold the walls safe for them until they crossed through to the other side. What's highlighted in this text is that as soon as they went through, God let the walls go and the Egyptians perished in that same place. By faith, they had to believe that that was the path through. It would have been a scary thing, walking through that ocean. And yet, by faith, they moved forward into that. Now, we may look at all of these by faith statements and think, well, there's a fair bit of distance between me and these realities. You know, none of you have probably been adopted recently into a royal Egyptian family, I'm guessing, right? Uh, and, and none of you have probably been stuck in a wilderness backed up beside a sea, needing it to miraculously open behind you. But if we look at all of these bifide faith statements, all of them are moments of struggle. And when it comes to struggle, that is something that we can identify with. We all have struggles. We see this struggle and these moments of struggle with Moses and I believe that we can draw some common ground and say, yeah, these are some realities that I face. I may not be facing an ocean that I need to pass through, but I am facing this situation at work, or this situation with my family, and unless God does a miracle, I don't know if there is a way forward." When we are faced with struggle, it presents for us a temptation like Moses was faced with, to either take that posture of fear that we were talking about earlier or that posture of comfort. But to lean on our earlier analogy, Moses doesn't change into neutral in the gearbox. He doesn't go into reverse. He leaves it in drive and he moves forward in faith. And so my question to you is, how does he do that? Like what enabled him to move forward in faith? Was it his strength? Was it his willpower? Was it his gifting or his charisma? His education? Was it being at the right place at the right time? No, it wasn't any of these things. In fact, what the Bible tells us is that his ability to move forward in faith came from perspective. Moses' ability to move forward in faith came from his perspective. The reason I say that is because in two of the verses, that's what's highlighted. Look back at verse 26 with me. It says this. It's talking about the comfort that he was offered in this palace life in Egypt. And it says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. He saw something more than a comfortable life. He saw an eternity with God, an eternity enjoying God and His goodness. He had an eternal perspective. Moses had an eternal perspective. Also what we see in verse 27 is that by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured, hear this, as seeing him who is invisible. So not only did he have an eternal perspective, he had a God perspective. He had his eyes fixed on God. He saw Him who was invisible. And this should be reminding you of the sermon we started this whole series with a while back, where we talked about the importance of keeping our eyes on Jesus. We talked in that message about Hebrews 12, Verse 1 and 2, which I'll just go down a few lines here to read with you again, which is where it says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that set before us. We've already read that, but listen <laughs> to this next part. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Moses was able to walk forward in faith because he had his eyes in the right place. But often our eyes will dip from where they need to be. In that message a few weeks ago, I talked about Peter and how he he let his eyes drop. There's a story in the New Testament where Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, sees Jesus walking across the water, literally walking on the water towards him. And Peter, being Peter, says, Hey. If that's you, tell me to come out and walk to water on you. And God and, and what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, Peter, stop being crazy. No, he says, Come on. And so Peter steps out of the boat and he's walking on water towards Jesus. His eyes are fixed on Jesus, but it tells us that he looked at the water and the waves. He looked down. And when his eyes dropped, he started to sink into the water. He said, Jesus, help me. Jesus reaches down and pulls him into the boat in that moment, and it's such a picture of our own lives. We often let our eyes dip like Peter and we sink into those things we've been talking about, fear or complacency. And what we need to understand is that even Moses, though he was this incredible man of God, if you read through Moses story you'll start to respect him a lot he was this guy who loved god and had a lot of interaction with god it's really cool to read his story but even moses didn't always keep his perspective right i can take you to numbers 20 this afternoon and show you the story where moses gets angry and disobeys god's instruction and ultimately has the consequence of not leading god's people into the promised land it's a sad story and so at this point you may be thinking okay so This is what you're telling me. One, we need to move forward in faith. Two, I do this by keeping my eyes fixed in the right place, on God and on eternity. But three, you're saying, I can't do it. That even Moses, this incredible man of God, he couldn't do it. Is that what you're saying to me this afternoon? And my answer is actually, yes, that is what I'm saying. And this is actually a really important part for us to get to and a realization for us to come to Because we've got to understand that without Jesus, we can't move forward in faith or even keep the right perspective. Without Jesus, fear and comfort will overwhelm and immobilize us. You see, Moses' story isn't ultimately in Hebrews 11 or even in the Bible to point us to Moses. Moses' story is there ultimately to point us to Christ. And what we see is that in multiple, multiple ways throughout Moses' story, we are pointed to Jesus. Moses foreshadows, that's a word of saying, he's kind of showing us what was to come in Jesus. He foreshadows the great leader, the great rescuer. Moses was a leader, he was a rescuer, but he was just foreshadowing the great rescuer and leader Jesus. Some of you are familiar with the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a kid's kind of uh, Christian book. It's a paraphrase of some of the Bible stories. One of the things they say in there a lot is that every story whispers Jesus' name, like every story in the Bible. And what we see in Moses' life is that's certainly true. Let me just give you a couple of quick examples. Moses was a baby born into humble beginnings who was almost killed. Think about Jesus' story. He came into very humble beginnings in a stable in Bethlehem. And if you're familiar with the story, the leader at the time, Herod, tried to kill him. He realized something significant had happened and he ordered the, the, the murder of all of these babies in Bethlehem. Moses left the comfort that he had to follow God's call for his life. Jesus in the same way, or in a different but similar way, left the comfort of God's presence in heaven to come to earth to rescue us. Moses, it tells us here in this text, was reproached. Another word for that is disgraced by those around him. All the Egyptians would have looked at him and and laughed and and pointed the finger. And if we look at Jesus' life, that's very similar. He was reproached. He was despised. The the Bible calls him a man of sorrows. This man who who had all of these, these hard things that happened in his life. Moses saw the invisible God. Jesus showed us the invisible God. He was God incarnate. Moses saved the people from death using the blood of lambs jesus saves us from death with his own blood that he shed for us on the cross like we already talked about so that when we have to give an account for our life he passes over our sins moses saved the people by leading them through the waters of the red sea jesus leads us to salvation and we symbolize that by dipping unto beneath the waters of baptism There's all these correlations between Jesus and Moses. We see over and over and over again. There's layer upon layer of symbolism here. And what I will put to you is that this isn't just whispering the name of Jesus. It's shouting the name of Jesus. Moses' hope was not ultimately in himself or in his perfection or his ability to move forward. But it was in the promised one who was coming in Jesus. He looked forward to Jesus. And in a similar way, our hope is not in our perfection. It's not in our ability to move forward in faith, but it's in the promised one who has come. We look back to Jesus and what he is now. We look to the present Jesus who is mighty to save us here and now. I say all this and I want to acknowledge that we can and should look at the life of Moses. And there are absolutely things that we can learn from his life, but ultimately, His life and story should lead us to kneel in front of Jesus. The Christian life is, as we've said, one of moving forward in faith. And what I want us all to see and agree on this afternoon is that Jesus is so beautiful and essential to all of this in two particular ways. First, He forgives us When we don't move forward in faith. As we've already acknowledged, there are moments when we are not moving forward in faith. And Jesus' grace is sufficient to forgive us for that. The second thing is that He, Jesus, is the fuel that moves us forward in faith. As we receive His grace, as we receive His forgiveness and His love and the fruit of His Spirit, that propels us to go and to move forward in faith. And so if you're sitting here this afternoon and you're like, oh man, I'm not moving forward. Jesus is the fuel, come to him, soak in his goodness, soak in his sacrifice and all that he's done for you, and you will be propelled to be the person that God has called you to be. J.R. Packard says this of Christianity, New Testament Christianity is a religion of hope, a faith that, hear this, looks forward. For the Christian, the best is always yet to be. I love that. For a Christian, the best is always yet to be. We have a hope in more than just this life and more than just this world. Well, there's brokenness all around us. I don't need to remind you of that. And so, as we think about these things, I want to come back to the first question where we asked, Are you moving forward in faith? Where are you today? What is your posture? Where is, if you want to go to the analogy, where is that transmission? Are you moving forward in faith or are you floundering in fear? Or maybe you're just captured by complacency and comfort. God's heart is for all of us. For you and I to be moving forward. And so, let's ask this question. What does that actually look like? For us, in a moment now, as we respond... For some, it may be a first-time decision. I'm not going to assume that all of us in this room understand and have accepted and said, I need Jesus in my life. And so even right here, right now, if you don't know God, this is a moment and an opportunity for you to say, I need something more. I don't want to just go through the motions of life anymore. I want this faith that you're talking about. I want this forgiveness. And so if you have questions about what that means, or if you're in a place where you're like, I'm ready to follow, I want to follow, you can pray a prayer and just simply say, right where you're sitting today, even as we sing in these next couple of songs, you can pray and say, God, I want you, I want to follow you. It doesn't have to be a fancy prayer with special words. The Bible tells us very clearly that if we believe in our heart we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, And that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. The wages of sin is death. It's another part of the Bible talks about But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. We can all have that today. It would be a travesty for any of us to walk out of this room without that today. And so if you're in a place where you're like, I want to make that decision, tell one of us. We'd love to celebrate that together as a church. We really would. If you've made that decision, maybe response for you looks like today a seeking for forgiveness for the ways that you were not moving forward in faith. As you've had time to reflect, you're like, yeah, I'm not moving forward in faith right now. Seek forgiveness and, and get back on track with God and say, God, I'm ready. I want to be used however you want to use me. I want you to be glorified in my life. Moses did have that stumble that fumble in numbers chapter 20. but you know what from that point on he continued to live a life of faith in god he finished out well and all of us none of us can fall too far from his grace we today can find restitution and hope in jesus and so if you're in a place where you're like yeah i'm not moving forward in faith i'm either maybe frozen in fear that describes me or I'm, i'm just overly comfortable Today, you can make that right with God. For others of us, maybe you are moving forward in faith, and today is simply just an encouragement to say, yeah, I want to continue to live for something more than just myself. I want to keep my eyes fixed with an eternal perspective, keep my eyes fixed on God. And maybe today is just a moment to celebrate the fact that you are moving forward with God. What I am going to do is, in our response time, just allow you to respond, as you need to, to these different thoughts. The final thought that I have for you is this. Right now, there is widespread fear for the future, globally. Maybe in a way that we haven't seen for a long, long time. And the coronavirus is this thing that is this destructive force that's just spreading. Like If you watch the maps online of how it's spread, it's kind of crazy. And as I was thinking about that this week, I kind of had this picture that perhaps what's being played out for us in a negative sense with this coronavirus is actually a picture of what God wants faith to look like in a positive sense. Now stick with me here, think about this. As one life is infected with the love of God, with the grace and the goodness of God, it can and should make that person step forward in faith, as we've been talking about. And that living of a life of faith can infect, it should be a contagious thing, that then infects the people around us, in a good sense. Again, okay? I'm, I'm flipping it on a tech here. And so my encouragement to all of us is that we would live these lives of faith and that our faith would be a contagious thing to the people around us. And that God, by his grace, would give us lives that are radical lives, moving forward in faith. And that the world around us would be changed, that would be infected with God's love as we walk forward with faith in him. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that we have a hope. In more than just this world and more than just this life. Thank you that our hope is in you. And God, as we consider the things we've talked about today, as we consider the postures that sometimes we take in life, how sometimes fear will rule in our hearts, or sometimes we're just lulled into a sense of comfort. And we don't step out in the way that you're calling us to. We don't live the lives of obedience you're calling us to. God, I pray that you bring conviction and truth to our hearts in this time. Let it speak to us, remind us of who we are and what you're calling us to. But I do pray if there is anybody here who doesn't know you, that they would make that decision today to, to cast their lot in with you. Thank you, God, that we have our hope in you. God, as we celebrate the fact that we have that hope, I pray there would be just a real sense across this room. I, I know we pray this often, but it's good. We pray for a sense of joy and thankfulness as we, we, we contemplate all that you've done for us. As we respond now, help us to be honest and real with you, and even with one another. Thank you.